Well, it's great to see you this morning. Um, I was not here last week. We had one of those rare times when the staff helped to put together a little quickie vacation, and I took the boys with my wife up to the mountains, and we ran around and went hiking and climbing and zip lining, and it was all great until about two days later when this 48-year-old felt it all. But it was, uh, it was good to be away. I did not uh, get a chance to be with you last week. So some of this stuff, I'm not sure what you preached about last week, may sound familiar. Some of it's new. But uh, what I want to focus on today is Mark's gospel. And really about what it means to be clean or unclean in the sight of God. If you were to be asked today what makes you clean in the sight of God or what makes you defiled or unclean in the sight of God, what would you say? Because that's what we're getting to today. Jesus ends up healing some scandalous type folks. Uh, a woman, a Syrophoenician woman who's called a dog. She's unclean. She's a goyim. Uh, she's not fit for righteousness. Certainly not fit to come into the kingdom of God. Certainly not fit to, to come face to face with, with God himself. She's not pure. She's not holy. And so he's going through this region of Tyre and Sidon and the Decapolis, the ten pagan cities, and he's healing these dog-type people, these unworthy-type people, these people who don't deserve his touch, who don't deserve God. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'd like to encourage you to start bringing your Bibles. If you, you know, I said my first kind of address to you that we're going to be a biblically-minded church. Um, that probably means you need to bring the Word with you, okay? Because <laughs> you can't be without it. And if it's on your iPad, if that's your go-to word, that's great. That's where, where I look at the Bible, from my iPad. I uh, also have uh, smartphones today. You know, if you pull out a smartphone and you're reading the Bible as we're going through a preaching series, I will trust that you're not playing some kind of game or texting somebody. Uh, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Or if you have a nice study Bible, the ESV, English Standard Version Study Bible, bring it with you. And write in the margins. It's not blasphemous to write on the Bible. We want you to be a student of the Word of God. In fact, the prayer book commends such a thing, doesn't it? It said we should read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the Scriptures. Anglicans are people of the Word. So if you've noticed in chapter 6 and chapter 7 in Mark's Gospel, if you'll turn there, Jesus gets himself into some hot water last week and, and particularly last week um, with a group called the Pharisees and also the scribes. And uh, have you noticed, if you read through the, the Bible, the um, gospel particularly, that whenever Jesus gets pushed back from one group or another, it's usually the religious folks that give him pushback. It's usually the prim and proper folks who are going to church every week that Jesus has the most difficult time with. And this is no different. You'll notice in chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. It was a great and wonderful miracle, right? Remember that? Then immediately after that, he's healing people in and around the Sea of Galilee, in and around the countryside. And uh, in Mark 6, 56, it says, He got to be so popular with this healing ministry that wherever he came, in villages, cities, and the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored Jesus that he might touch, that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it, they were made well. So you get the picture at the end of chapter 6. This 
young, itinerant Jesus, who is a preacher and a healer, is gaining in popularity. Here comes the controversy, though. In chapter 7, the religious folks are not at all happy with this. The scribes and the Pharisees are thinking, who is this country bumpkin preacher from that backwater town called Nazareth? Who does he think he is gaining popularity in his message, in his ministry? In fact, Mark chapter 7 verse 1 says this, Now the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Get that. The Pharisees and the scribes have come all the way from Jerusalem to stop the nonsense, to stop Jesus, to discredit the itinerant preacher, and to disrupt his healing ministry. That's what they came there to do. Now let's look at how they were going to disrupt him and discredit him. Mark chapter 7 verse 2 gives us that, question, that answer. He said they, it says they noticed a spiritual chink in Jesus' armor, a potential way to discredit him. And Mark tells us this, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So his disciples aren't doing it right. They're not religious enough. They're not following all the rules that the Pharisees and scribes were used to seeing. They are not doing religion right. How many people think about religion and Christianity about doing things right, about a set of moral principles or, or objective laws that are out there that you've got to follow. Well, Jesus constantly brushed up against that, didn't he? I mean, he touches dead people. You're not supposed to do that. That makes you unclean. That makes you a dog like the woman in the story, an unclean person. You're not supposed to pluck grain on a Sabbath, but Jesus allowed his disciples to do it. They're hungry. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath which made him an outsider, an unclean person in many different ways. He walked through the Decapolis. Just the dirt from the Gentile cities would make you unclean and unacceptable to God. He ate with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and people of ill repute. My goodness, Jesus, what are you doing? So Jesus get all, gets all the pushback from the religious folks. That's who are most offended at Jesus. And yes, last week's criticism came in the way of, of them criticizing his disciples. They're not washing their hands well. They're not doing the cups and the saucers well. They're not doing it right. They're not keeping a kosher kitchen. Jesus, didn't your mama teach you anything about our religion, for goodness sake? So you see the issue. The issue last week and this week is a series of healings. And in the middle, there's a teaching about who's clean and who's unclean. And at the time of Jesus, there were 613 laws that if you kept those laws, then you were clean. But if you didn't keep them, you were unclean. So we're talking about what it means to be religious or profane. What it means to be holy or unholy. What it means to be righteous or unrighteous in the sight of the Most High God. The Pharisees and the scribes said, Jesus, you and your disciples, you better keep these laws or God won't love you. Now, you break the laws, and God will have nothing to do with you. So what they were saying to Jesus last week is, you're a lawbreaker, your disciples are lawbreakers, you're unclean, you're unfit, you're not right with God. Now, some of us think that that sounds strange, because we don't keep those 613 ceremonial laws anymore, civil laws and, and other laws about sexual purity. We don't have those anymore. 
But you know something? We're still big legalists. We are. We're all prone to look at the law and judge our accountability with God by the law. It's not strange to us. Sometimes we make religion our primary goal rather than a means to reach the end. It's a means to reach the end. It's not the primary goal. And I know a lot of people in this church, uh, uh, people at the altar guild are fine folks. People at the 8 o'clock service, fine altar guild. You love Jesus, and, and you, you, you have the proper cups up here and the cop, proper plates, and, and you polish everything up so it looks real nice. That's religion, but it comes from your heart, which is good. But when religion doesn't have a heart with it, then it becomes exactly what the Pharisees were doing. In fact, uh, Bishop Allison, former bishop of this diocese, confronted some altar guilds in some churches, not this church, but other churches, and he said this. He said, you can stand in the pulpit of the Episcopal Church and preach all kinds of heresy all day long. Nobody will say a thing. He said, but you start moving the church furniture around and the altar guild will have your head on a platter. <laughs> See, what, what he's saying is that sometimes our religious practices are an end in and of themselves rather than a means to an end. And the greater end is communion with God. So sometimes we treat the external, the outward devotions as primary. Bottom line is this. You can have all the chalices and patents and candles arranged just right. You can have acolytes that are well-groomed and everybody working in concert on a Sunday morning, but it doesn't mean that you've truly worshiped God, right? It doesn't mean that God's been honored. It doesn't mean the gospel's been preached. It doesn't mean that lives are changed and hearts are being mended in the church simply means that you got religion right on this morning. So that's what's at stake. Jesus is approached by some people who said, you're not doing it right. You're not religious enough. Now look at how he confronts those people. In the midst of this gripe session, he uses it as a teaching moment. And you read this last week, and we'll read it again. Verse 18 of Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, he says, Then are you also without understanding? He talks to the crowd to instruct them. He said, don't you see what's going on here? He said, whatever goes into a person from the outside, that can't defile a person. Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and then is then expelled. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. It's from within, in the heart of man, that comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and coveting and wickedness and deceitfulness and sensuality and all these evil things. They come from within and they defile a person. You see what Jesus is doing? He's getting to the heart of the matter. In fact, in verse 18 and 19, if you read it strictly and literally, what he's saying is that you can have all the out, uh, outward appearance of religion you can eat all the right kind of kosher foods, but they're never going to touch the heart. They go right to the stomach and out to the toilet the next day. What he's saying is every attempt that you and I make outwardly to reconcile ourselves through religion is going to fail because it never touches the heart. You can't reconcile yourself to God. Somebody's got to intervene for you. External religion can't do it because Jesus says it doesn't touch your heart. It goes out the poop the next day. That's what legalism's about, okay? So Jesus says in verse 21, 
It's out of the heart of man that comes the problem. It's the evil within that defiles him. Not whether you wash your plates right or whether you have the altar guild do everything right. It's a heart problem. So what Jesus is saying is says that we're all unclean. He doesn't argue with the Pharisees last week or this week about that. He says we're all unclean. But he said the solution to our uncleanliness and how you get right with God is very different. They are saying outward religious devotion. I'm saying something's got to touch your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. So, you can try harder. I've seen people want to get right with God by trying a little harder. You know, this week I'm not going to... I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to cuss that much, and I'm not going to see any bad movies, and I'm going to quit dating that guy. I know he's not good for me. I'm going to try my hardest to get right with God and be holy and pure. And guess what? It always fails. Jesus knew that outward pulling on the bootstraps never gets you there. It never gets you there. Something's got to affect your heart. Trying harder won't do it. Anglicans. Episcopalians. We need to hear that. Uh, what Jesus is looking for is not your outward devotion. He's looking for your heart. Because sometimes we think that we come into the church and say all the right amens at the right time and we genuflect and, and cross ourselves and raise our hands in prayer and praise and we think we got it. But if the heart doesn't follow the actions, it's empty religion. It's the same thing that the Pharisees were doing to Jesus saying that it's all about the outward, not the inward. Now, I love the, the religion of Anglicanism. I love it. I left Methodism over 20 years ago so I could be a part of an Anglican church. I love the wonderful prayers in the prayer book because if they're said with your heart, they draw your heart into the presence of God himself. I love the structures, the buildings in which we worship, the volume which seems to speak to us the majesty of God. It brings our heart closer to the Father. I love the sacraments. Remember what they are? Bread and wine and water and rings and blessings and all that stuff. Anglicans say that they are outward and visible signs of God's inward and spiritual work on your heart, of an inward and spiritual grace. You see that? Jesus says it's the heart that matters. And the sacraments are the expression of the heart. Now, several years ago, I had a conversation with a young couple. They were in my office, hadn't seen them in church in some time, at least a number of years at that point. They had just had their first little baby girl. And they're in my office, and he's kind of fumbling for words. You can tell he's uncomfortable. He says, I think it's about time that we, um, um, and he couldn't get the word. And he said, it's about time we get her done. And I'm thinking, get her done? Are you Larry the Cable Guy? What, what is this? Get her done. And then he struggled for words again. He said, I, you know, that thing y'all do, that christening. I think it's christening. And I said, no, it's not christening. It's baptism. I said, we take a, a champagne bottle and we break it across the bow of a boat. That's christening. You don't want us to do that to your child. What we're going to do with your child is, is I'm going to ask you where your heart is. Is it with Jesus? Because unless you are madly in love with Jesus, and unless baptism means that you're giving your whole heart, your soul, your body, your mind, your finances, your family back to God in baptism, unless that's the meaning that you have, how in the world do you expect your little daughter to share your faith one day? Where your heart is is where your child's going to be. We can take water from the River Jordan itself 
And it's not going to make a bit of difference if the parents don't get their hearts involved. You see Jesus, what he said? Empty outward religion doesn't mean a thing unless the heart's involved. You see what the guy was doing? Get her done. Check off that religious box. You know, it's like immunization for children, register them for kindergarten, get her done at some point. You know, that's what he's talking about. And what he's saying is we do that in order to make ourselves look good with our other church members because they want to think that, that we've done right by our children spiritually. Where if you don't walk with Christ, you haven't done right with, by your children spiritually. And baptism doesn't mean a thing. So let me be clear. I love outward and visible things. I love washing uh, of patens and chalices, and I love the work that the altar guild does. And I, I wear frilly stuff. I mean, this is not manly stuff. This is, this is cool. This is churchy stuff, okay? But I know behind all this, Jesus doesn't want our religion. He wants our hearts. And that's why he went out to the unclean dogs. And he went out to the villages of the Decapolis and of Tyre and Sidon to, to connect with their hearts. Remember Jesus even today spits on his hands and touches his spittle to the, the mute guy's tongue? I mean, how gross is that? But that's, that's a sacrament. It's an outward invisible sign of the healing that Jesus was doing in the soul, right? Jesus loves sacraments. So let's be clear about where we are right now. We're all unclean. All of us unclean. Religious devotion, outward devotion will never be able to make you clean. Jesus alone has the power and the property to cleanse you. He's the great physician. Now, how does that work? And I'll leave it with this. Here's how it works. It's beautiful. Christianity is not as much a religion as it is a relationship. You know, religion says, do this, don't do that. 613 laws. If you do them, then you're clean with God and you can go into the presence of God. If you don't, then you're an outsider. That's religion. Christianity says... It's Christ alone. Christianity says that he has done it all for us. So religion is due, Christ is done. It's done. So when you fall madly in love with Jesus and are in a relationship of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, then and only then do you become acceptable to God. It's about a relationship, not a religion. You're holy not by what you do, but by who you know and what he did, by what he did. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21 and 20, Paul says this. He encourages us, be reconciled to God. He says, be reconciled. Then he says, for God made him who knew no sin. Uh, imagine this, this white cloth is, is Jesus, him who knew no sin. This is, this is Jesus' purity, his righteousness, his holiness. He can go right to the Father because he's holy and pure. Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. So what Jesus did was say this black prayer book is your heart. It's vile, it's black, it's unholy. Holiness and unrighteousness cannot come together. But here's how God works out the details. God made him who knew no sin to soak up and become sin for us. He took away all your burdens, all your past, forgave it all in an instant. So that, Paul says, we might become the righteousness of God. So see what the exchange is? Jesus soaks into himself all the impurity of your heart. 
and clothes you and covers you with his righteousness. So when the Father in heaven who is perfect sees you, he sees not your ugliness, not your sinfulness, not your depravity, not your doggedness. He sees the purity and the holiness of his righteous Son. The work is finished, it's complete. Too often we get religious about it all when it starts with the heart. I love religion as much as anybody else, but Jesus can't use religion until you first open your heart and let him work on that first. In Revelation 19.8, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give God the glory. For at the marriage feast of the Lamb, that's Jesus, has come. And he has made his bride ready for himself. That's the church. And on that day when the bride meets the groom in heaven, it says it was given to her clothing so that she might clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean and pure. Will you accept Jesus today in that way? Start with the heart and he'll work on the rest. But don't start with the outside because the outside never affects the heart. Outside religion will never change you. But if you will fall into a love relationship with the one who's done it all, who said it is finished on the cross, who's prepared a way for you to go back to the Father, if you just fall on your knees and start that love relationship, you become not only acceptable to God, but you're beautiful and pure, just like his son. To him be the glory, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.